Throughout this season following Easter, uh, we've been journeying through the book of Acts and looking at how Jesus' early followers, uh, after experiencing the power of the resurrected Lord and the gift of the Holy Spirit, how they went out and ministered in ways that their critics claimed were turning the world upside down, were so different from the expectations of how the world works because they're living by the values of God's kingdom rather than earthly kingdoms. And we've been asking ourselves, how can we do the same? Today, we're going to be looking at how those early followers stepped out of their comfort zones into the danger zone and how we, when we do the same, how we open ourselves to sharing the power and presence of the risen Lord in a way that turns the world upside down in such a beautiful way. You know, there's something about comfort zones uh, that are so appealing. And I can relate to this in, in my life. I can tell you that early on when I first became an adult, a, a wiser, uh, slightly older mentor told me, he said to me, he said, listen, for most people, mo- most men and women, by the time the sun comes up, other people will have a claim on your life. So if you need to do something for yourself, do it before the sun comes up. And I can tell you right now, from about six o'clock to not in the morning to 9.30 in the evening, other people have a claim upon my life. And it's a beautiful and a wonderful claim. You never could have told me. I never would have imagined that I would love my job as a pastor as much as I love my job as a pastor. Every morning I get to wake up and do the thing in the world that I most want to do. And I get to talk about the thing in the world that I believe is the most important. You never could have told me, many of you can relate to this, you never could have told me that being a husband and a father would be as fulfilling and as wonderful uh, and as joyful a- a- as it is. But from six in the morning till 9.30 in the evening, other people have a claim upon my life. And at 9.30 in the evening, I want nothing more than to go to my comfort zone. I want to show it to you right now. There it is, <laughs> right? That is my comfort zone. And I want to spend 15 minutes uninterrupted in my comfort zone. But here's the thing. If I stay there too long, my comfort zone becomes a danger zone. And sometimes I will have a busy day the next day. And instead of getting to bed at 10 o'clock, I'll get to bed at 11.30. Or 12, and my wife will ask me, she's, she'll say, I didn't hear you come to, to bed last night. Did you stay up? And I'll say, yes, I watched the game. She said, oh, who was playing? And I'll tell her who was playing. She said, I didn't realize you cared about those teams. And I'll say, I don't. It was just on. And I was comfortable. And now I'm going to be tired all day. Because I stayed in my comfort zone too long. There's actual danger if we stay in our comfort zones too long. We have to get out. We have to get out into the danger zone into which Christ calls us. And for this reason, one of the things I encourage you to do, you may need to do it before the sun comes up, is daily read your Bible. Daily pray so that you can allow Christ at the beginning of your day to encourage you to go those places uh, where you might have the chance to turn the world upside down for God, uh, to help those persons, to serve others, uh, where you might have the chance to show somebody that this world is so much better than we ever imagined it is. This life is so much better. Our God is so much better because maybe they weren't raised in the church. Maybe, maybe they never heard. Maybe they heard the words, but nobody ever showed them the actions that should go with the words. 
you have that chance. And it's hard to do that without Christ's guidance on a daily basis. Uh, so read the Bible daily. If you're not already doing so, please get involved in our Grow Through the Bible reading plan. You can find it at concordunited.org Bible. You can pick up a copy at the information center here if you'd prefer to receive it that way. It's going to take you right now through, through the book of Acts, through what we're, we're studying about, uh, and we're going to have a reading for you every day of the year. Uh, you, if you go to concordunited.org slash Bible, you can also find a daily devotion in email or podcast form. It's going to help you go deeper into the scripture, give you a focus for your prayer life. I can't encourage you enough uh, to, be, to be a part of that because when we look at what the early church did, what the early church did is often unexplainable to secular sociologists. They look at the growth of the early church. They look at the diversity of the early church, and it is so staggering that they struggle to come up with concrete sociological reasons for why the early church was able to do what it did. Consider this. In just the few decades after Jesus was crucified and risen, the church expanded into Europe, into Africa, and into Asia. All, all those diverse cultures, the early church found a way to expand into people who spoke vastly different languages, had vastly different values. The early church included Jews, it included Gentiles, it included Samaritans, it included Romans, it included Egyptians and North Africans, it included Mesopotamians, it, it included Syrians, uh, it included Babylonians. It included all these people, right? These people who come very different. The, the leadership of the church included slaves. They allowed slaves to be their leaders. It, it included free persons. It included the wealthy. It, it included uh, males and females in the leadership of the early church. The diversity of the early church was staggering. It, almost unexplainable. Someone had to step out of their comfort zone to reach all these diverse people. Someone still needs to step out of their comfort zone to reach all these d diverse people. There's diverse people all around us. Sometimes uh, it's in the, the color of skin. Sometimes it's in the nation of origin. Sometimes it's in the socioeconomic background. Uh, sometimes it's in the educational background. Uh, sometimes it's in how we see the world politically. But there, there are people all around us and someone has to share the good news. And friends, if we only share it with people who are exactly like us, then we couldn't be more different from the early church. So long as everyone around you looks like you and believes like you, friends, you'll never be the best version of you. We have to get outside our comfort zones. I wanna tell you about somebody who got outside his comfort zone real quick. He wasn't even necessarily looking to do so. Uh, you, may, you may have heard of him. His name's Ananias. And Ananias, that guy was doing his thing. He's following Christ. He was praying. And he was doing fine until Christ decided to show up in his prayers and ask him to do something. And I want you to hear what he gets asked to do. We're picking up with Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and to lay his hands on him so he might regain his sight. 
But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Uh, Remember, Saul, who becomes Paul, was persecuting, uh, imprisoning, executing Christians. The evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority by the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings, before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Do you you recognize what's happening here with Ananias? Do you remember your Old Testament? Do you remember there was somebody in the Old Testament named Samuel? And the Lord appeared to Samuel. And Samuel was scared. But Samuel learned to say, Here I am, Lord. And the the Lord said to Samuel, I want you to go anoint Saul, king of Israel. And then later, David, king of Israel. uh, So that they can help my people glorify my name. Well, now Ananias is encountered by God. And what does he say? The same thing Samuel said, here I am, Lord. And what does God say? God said, just like he wanted Samuel to lay his hands on and anoint the kings, he said, I want you to lay your hands on Paul or Saul. And I want you to tell him that he is healed and that I will show him what he is to do for me, how much he is to suffer in order to proclaim my name. And Ananias hears this. And Ananias must decide how to respond. And we often make a big deal out of the Apostle Paul, uh, who we would eventually become to know Saul as. Uh, But friends, I want you to know, Paul didn't just receive Jesus on his own. We talk about, uh, when when did Jesus find you? Uh, There were people who were involved in this. Uh, It wasn't just Paul had this miraculous experience. When we look at what happened to Paul, It is legitimate for us to consider that Paul's conversion and ministry are the direct results of Stephen and Ananias' prayers. I want you to know these prayers helped Paul become who he would be. Just like in our lives, the prayers of others have guided and shaped us and helped us become who we are. Now, you might not remember Stephen, so I want to take you back because Ananias isn't the first person to get into a conversation in prayer with God about Saul, who would become Paul. Uh, In fact, it happens with Stephen. And Stephen appears in Acts 6 and 7. And Stephen is this Christian leader. He helps with the food ministry uh, of, of the early church. He's known as someone who's wise. He's a historian who understands the history of God's work in, in the world. And he begins to not only help in the food ministry, he begins to preach the gospel. And he gets into trouble because he preaches the gospel around the Jewish council. They're not happy with him for preaching the gospel. And eventually they decide to have him executed. The man leading the charge to have him executed you guessed it Saul now we want to go back to Acts 7 verse 58 and this is going to tell you about what happens right as Stephen is losing his life and remember Saul's the ringleader Saul is the commanding officer in charge of this mob that's about to stone Stephen so picking up with verse 58 then they dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him 
And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died and Saul approved of his killing. Stephen was praying for Saul as Saul was overseeing his killing. Stephen was praying, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Lord, for, forgive him. Friends, when we look at Stephen's prayer, it is offensive. Uh, Ananias recognized how offensive it was. Ananias said, I don't want to help this guy. I don't want anything to do with, with this guy. But all Ananias was having to deal with was the consequence of Stephen's answered prayer. Uh, what was happening was the answered prayer of Stephen. Uh, friends, I, I have to ask you this. If all your prayers were answered, would anyone be offended? Do you pray for anything audacious enough that anyone would be offended if your prayers were answered? Because if we're not praying for things that would be offensive, uh, if we're not praying for God to act in such a way that his grace is utterly offensive to those of us who like to go through life keeping score, then we're not praying in line with the prayers of, of the early church. Would anyone be offended? Friends, I, I, have, I have to tell you something. If I ever stop offending you from the pulpit, if I ever quit stepping on your toes, there's something you need to do. Because I have lived with these scriptures for enough years to know that I still, as much as I have tried to base my life around Jesus' teachings, I can't read about Jesus without being offended. I can't get through two verses of the Sermon on the Mount without having my sensibilities offended. And if you ever come to a church where you never get offended, you might need to find a new church. And if I ever stop saying things from this pulpit that occasionally offend you and push you out of your comfort zone, then here's what you need to do. In the Methodist church, we have what's called a staff parish committee. And they relate to the pastors. I need you to go to the staff parish committee and I need you to say, you need to help Will with his preaching. Uh, you, don't, don't fire him yet. Get him help. Help him, Lord. And I need you to ask him to do that. And if you do that, and after a year I haven't improved, I, I, need, I need you to try it again. And after another year I haven't improved, I need you to pull my wife aside and I need you to say, sorry, honey, but you might need to start getting some cardboard boxes. Because the next year you need to tell them, we need a new pastor. We need a new pastor. Uh, friends, uh, a spoonful of sugar may make the medicine go down, uh, but sugarcoating the gospel robs it of its power. We can't do that. We can't, we, it's fine to be offended. It's not fine to leave out the parts of the gospel that offend us. And I want, want to tell you, when you think about Jesus, when you think about your picture of Jesus, uh, friends, when Jesus, when the Jesus you worship starts hating the people you hate, you've quit worshiping Jesus. You've started worshiping yourself. That's what you've started doing. And I'm here today to tell you to stop it. I'm here today to tell you that what you're doing when that happens, what I'm doing when that happens, is we are playing God and we stink at being God. We are no good at it. God 
created us to be very good. God gave us spiritual gifts to be very good at a lot of things. Playing God is not one of those things. You have the power literally to turn the world upside down through the Holy Spirit working within you, but you don't have the power to do anything worth doing when you're playing God. That's that, that's just the way it is. I often think about one of our favorite heroes here in East Tennessee, uh, one of the uh, several persons in East Tennessee uh, of whom thou shalt not speak ill, including Dolly Parton, uh, and uh, that being the great Peyton Manning. And if you think about Peyton Manning, he was one of the best football players ever. He was a horrible running quarterback. He could not run the ball. By the end of his career, he was the worst at his position in the league at running. He was great. Don't try to do something God hasn't called you to do. Don't try to be God. You stink at it. Figure out how God has called you to follow Jesus and you'll turn the world ups, upside down. When, friends, it's very important what we do when the gospel offends us. Because if we avail ourselves, if we read personally, if we listen, if we study the message of Jesus, it will offend us. And we learn here from Ananias exactly what to do when it offends us. So here's the question I have for you from Ananias' example. Uh, when something in the gospel offends you, do you pray it out or do you leave it out? Because many of us are very tempted to leave it out. And Ananias', Ananias' example is to pray it out. He prayed he prayed through this, and he was honest in his prayers. I love that when God gives him this great commission to lay his hands on Saul, to perform a miracle, to commission Saul, he's like, no. He was honest with God. And because he was honest with God, he got to have a transformative conversation with God that changes Ananias uh, from one uh, who would run away when the gospel offends him uh, to one who gave us a witness that turned the world upside down, who is remembered thousands of years later for the way he responded, for the way he became somebody in that conversation who he wasn't. It wasn't just that Ananias decided to do it. It's that Ananias entered that conversation with God as one person, and he left that conversation with God as a different person. He left that conversation with God having grown in his faith in such a way that he was fundamentally different after that conversation. And when we pray, we avail ourselves of that power that can change us into somebody who we weren't pre previously. That's what happened with Ananias. But what happens uh, with most of us is instead of taking our offense to God, we hide it from God. We build this little wall and we just wall it off and we still read our Bibles and we still pray, but we're not gonna pray about that and we're not gonna think about that and we still go to church and we still get up early and we still put on our nice clothes and we still show up at Sunday school. But if whenever that thought comes into our head about that thing God's working on us, we wall it off and we just say, I, I just don't wanna deal with it. I went to the doctor this week uh, for uh, a regular checkup. And usually when I go, he talks to me about running. Many of you know for a number of years, I, I've been a, a fairly intense runner. Uh, I, I won't necessarily say good, but intense. And within that, he'd always talk to me about how's your running going. And we would strategize ways that I could run faster. Well, this time he came and I said, well, I haven't run in 
a number of months. He said, why? I said, well, I've got this thing going on with my Achilles and uh, this thing going on with my hip. And, you know, I, I can do everything in life pain-free except run really fast for really long distances, for long periods of time. And I know what it would take to get all this stuff healed. And I just don't have the time in my life for all the, the, the rehab and everything that would go into. I said, so I've shifted uh, and I'm, I'm waiting to see if that'll get better. But uh, I'm, I've spent the, the weeks since then, I, I've, I've been weightlifting. And interestingly enough, he didn't strategize with me about how I could lift more weight. Um, I don't know why he would look at me and not think I was a competitive weightlifter. Uh, for, for, for the life of me, I, I, just, I just, I mean, I'm not. But, but I, I was pretty proud of how much stronger I was than the, the last time I, I, I came in there, though nobody would, would give me a medal for, for, for my strength. They, uh, but he began saying, well... You know, it's fine if, if you lift, but uh, maybe you could do a little work on the bicycle. Maybe you could do a little bit. And I realized what he was doing uh, was he was worried about my cardiovascular health. I was caught up in how I look on the outside. I, I kind of like having slightly larger muscles, not that they're large. Um, but he was caught up on how I looked on the inside. He, he was caught up on what was on the inside that no one else could see. And one of the big problems a lot of us have is we're caught up with how we look on the outside at, more so than how we look on the inside. But what that doctor knew was how I looked on the inside was much more important than how I looked on the outside for my long-term health and my life. And whether I get to see uh, my grandkids graduate high school one day, that's what's going to be important. But I was walked in there more concerned about the the outside. Some of us, we're more concerned about the outside, but Jesus the Christ, the great physician of our souls, he's more concerned about the, the inside. Some of us, we, we, we love it when we come and we hear preached what we already believe, and it affirms our assumptions, and it massages our egos, and it makes us feel like we're better than those other people, even if we're not perfect. We love that, but how much do we love it when we see God bless someone that we have differences with? Uh, how much do we love it when rather than having a message preached that, that tells us that we're the ones who understand God correctly, we hear a message preached that says even those who get to the vineyard late, even those who don't follow Jesus their whole life, who find him at the very end, you know what? They get the same bit in heaven. Even those who massively misunderstand him as long as they sincerely seek him. You know, they, they get the same mansion in glory. How much do we like that? How much do we like it uh, when uh, rather than a sermon uh, that tells us what we're already doing is great, do we hear a sermon that tells us that God wants us to give 10% a tithe of everything we have to the ministries of the church and he wants us to give it first, not with, with what's left over? Uh, how many times do we look at that and we go, well, uh, you know, uh, that, that sounds nice. I wonder how much of a discount I can take and still be a good upstanding church member uh, on that. I had a friend one time, came to faith later, and uh, my my friend uh, came out of uh, a background with substance abuse addiction and uh, had not grown up in church, had a difficult life. Uh, 
in his mid-twenties, he came to faith. He went through a new member class, and we began talking about giving to the church. And I gave the normal speech I give, uh, which is that we should all be working towards giving 10% to the ministries of the church, of our resources, that we can't all begin there because we don't want people getting their homes uh, foreclosed or their cars repossessed. But we can make plans to help us get there. And I, I saw the, the looks, as usual, on people's faces uh, when, when I say this, which, which, you know, that's just not the time in new member class when people are like, amen, mm-hmm, yes, sir. Uh, and afterwards, he came out to me and he said, we only have to give 10% to God? I had to give 90% to my dealer. God's at 10%? I get to keep 90? Oh, my goodness. And God cares about me. My dealer didn't even care about me. He still took 90%. How, how much do we like it when we look and when we see someone that God's using for God's glory, someone we dislike, someone we disagree with, and we see God using that person? How much do we like that? How much do we like it when we read the Scriptures that tell us that when the church makes decisions, about exactly how we should do things, that we shouldn't be taking uh, first priority into a, a, the people, the people who have the, the most say and their preferences being met shouldn't necessarily be the people who attend the most often, even the people who pray the most or who give the most money. It should be the preferences of those who haven't yet heard the gospel, of the poor, the unwanted, the overlooked, and the ignored. How much do we like that? How much do we listen to that? Uh, how much do we turn our ears away from that? And do we ever allow that to cause us to pray prayers that would be offensive? Because hearing Paul's story, we should gasp at the power of prayer and shudder at the prayers that we have allowed to go unprayed. We should gasp at the power of prayer and shudder at the prayers that we have allowed to go unprayed. Friends, many of us are here because Saul, who became Paul, heard the gospel. Because he was healed and given the Holy Spirit. And that means many of us are here because Stephen prayed an offensive prayer. And many of us are here because Ananias didn't hide from God, but had a transformative conversation, an offensive conversation with God in, in prayer. That's why we're here. Paul shared the gospel with more people before or since. He is the most widely read author in history. He preached it to the Jews and to the, the Greeks. Uh, he took it to the, it, he began in the Middle East. He went to Asia. He ended uh, towards Europe. He took it all over. And we now know it because of him, which means we now know it because of Stephen and Ananias. I want to share something with you today, friends. Uh, we often say that we found Jesus. We tell stories about how we found Jesus. That's, that's not exactly true. Uh, we didn't just find Jesus on our own, just like Saul didn't. Uh, you're here today because somebody prayed for you. You're here today because somebody you might never suspect or know about prayed for you. You're here today because mothers and grandmothers, fathers and grandfathers, aunts and uncles, Sunday school teachers uh, and youth counselors who were, some of you, they were at their wits end trying to keep you out of jail while you were a teenager. Uh, they prayed for you and they believed in you. You had teachers and you had coaches and you had friends and you had cousins and you had pastors and you had people who prayed uh, for you. 
When you found Jesus, it wasn't that you suddenly discovered him. It was that he had been pursuing you all along. He had pursued you from the heights of heaven to the depths of hell. He had pursued you from the dawn of day to the darkness of night. He had pursued you in your successes. He had pursued you in your failures. He had pursued you in your wisdom. He had pursued you in your foolishness. And you opened your eyes and you saw the one who was always there standing before you. That's what happened when you found Jesus. And if we want to turn the world upside down, then we need to be a part of pursuing others we need to be a part of a church that plays offense, not defense, that doesn't just stand around talking about how other people don't live by our values and other people don't believe what we believe. Why should they? They don't know yet. Uh, they haven't heard. They haven't accepted. They haven't received. God bless them. They can do whatever they want, but we need to pursue them because Christ pursued us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.